Heath Ledger was 17 when he left his hometown in Perth and travelled across the country to Sydney. There, his raw talent and iconic golden boy good looks would catapult him towards global stardom. Welcome to a special two-part series from Shameless Podcast, The Extraordinary Life of Heath Ledger. Mish, we are back with a special two-part series and I have a real soft spot for this one. I do kind of imagine that this one will be quite popular amongst our demographic and our listenership because Heath Ledger is a huge icon for people our age, but so many of us don't know much about his life because I think maybe one of our most stark memories is his death. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been wanting to cover Australian stories as well as global celebrity stories. And I think Heath Ledger stands out in the minds of so many. I think we want to put on the record very, very early that this will be a compassionate look back on Heath's life. We are not here to have a salacious look back on one of our most iconic Australian actors. If anything, we want to tell you the story of Heath because speaking from personal experience, he died in 2008. So I would have been, what, 14 years old? Is that right? 14 years old. I feel like I didn't have time to properly know or get an understanding of who he was as a person. The thing that stands out to me is his tragic passing. And if we want to do anything with this scandal series, it's to actually look back at his life and look back at why he was the icon he was. Yeah, exactly. Because I do feel, having gone back through this research, that there was just so much I didn't know about Heath. I mean, of course, I was a crazy fan of 10 Things I Had About You. So I knew what he was like on screen, but off screen, I had very, very little idea. We also should put on the record as well before we start, Mish, that Shameless Media has made a donation to Beyond Blue, one of our favourite charities that helps everyone in Australia achieve their best possible mental health, whatever their age and wherever they live. Yeah, please visit beyondblue.org.au if you would like to check out their great work. Okay, Zara, we are going to rewind back. We are heading to Heath Ledger's childhood. Should we do it? Yeah, let's go to Perth. All right, Mish. So Heath Ledger grew up in Perth in Western Australia. I feel like he was very proud of that sort of Perth origin and made it very known. I feel like that is one of the core facts I know about Heath Ledger. Yeah, it adds up, doesn't it? Because you think about Heath Ledger and you see this golden tanned Aussie boy and that beachy WA vibe is certainly him to a T. Yeah, exactly. So he grew up there with his mom and his dad and his older sister, Kate. In an interview with Rolling Stone he did years after he became famous, he called Perth the most isolated city in the world, which is funny. I mean, it is pretty isolated in Australia. We know that it is one of the most beautiful cities that we have hands down, but it is almost like one of those cities that has a very small town mentality. Yeah, well, shout out to all of our WA listeners and our Perth listeners. A lot of people do joke that Perth could be its own country, <laughs> like maybe they do want to leave the rest of Australia, but that's true. It is a little bit isolated. He said that he grew up with, and I quote, solid middle-class parents. So his dad, Kim, designed race cars and his mum was a homemaker. He said he didn't really grow up with much money 
or movies or around art. He really grew up as kind of like a very down-to-earth kid, it sounds like. Yeah, very much so. When he was 11, his parents actually divorced and he has said that the divorce opened him to very deep, very complex emotions. Speaking to Vanity Fair, he once said, the point I got to very quickly after my parents' divorce was to realise they were just humans. It wasn't the death of something but the birth of something else. What I've always looked for is redirection of energy and emotion. Maybe the thrust of that started there. Yeah, it really does feel like he kind of happened upon the arts and his own emotions around this time. He said, I'm sure there was like one week where they didn't speak to each other, but otherwise they all still got along, continuing to share family dinners and trips away. So both of his parents remarried and they both had children with other partners, bit of a Brady Bunch situation. And I think this kind of sparked within him a lone wolf mentality or a real sense of independence in that his parents split, his family was divided and he found complete solace in himself and in being by himself. He also said, I enjoyed being at one house for three weeks and going, okay, right, I'm off. It set me up for this bohemian life I've been leading. I feel like I've been traveling with the same bags since I was 11. How interesting. I mean, it very much does feel like the birth of this kind of free spirit within Mm. him that we knew he definitely grew into as he got a bit older. What a lot of people may not know about Heath Ledger, or at least something I definitely didn't know, is that Heath Ledger was quite passionate about chess. Yes. He was quite good at it too. In the documentary, I Am Heath Ledger, that was made a couple of years ago, that was a really incredible watch. One of his friends lamented that he wished Heath could have let him win just once. Mm. Like that's how good he was. So he was also not just great at chess though. He was great at art, hockey, cricket, football. So he seemed like quite an all-rounder. He seemed like the type of kid in high school. And I think you'll know the kind of kid I'm talking about, Zara. That one who is just naturally gifted, like can pick up a hockey stick and naturally be great at it, naturally good looking, can go into art class and suddenly whip out the best painting of the entire group. Like that person who just is born with incredible talent. Bit of Troy Bolton about him, (laughs) both art and sport. His dad has actually said before that he thought that he was going to play hockey for the Olympics or at the very least be some kind of professional driver. Because he Cody Simpson about this. There's a lot. Oh, there's a lot of a lot going on here <laughs> because he was really also very much exposed to go kart racing and things like that over mm. in Perth. So lots of hobbies. He very much seemed like a hobby kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I really loved about the I Am Heath Ledger doco. You get such an insight into who he was growing up around his family, and it really seemed like he was just this free-ranging creative. He constantly was a bundle of energy and ready to funnel that energy into whatever project took his fancy next. Yeah, and there was something quite untraditional about the way that he wanted to go about things. In the documentary, his dad, Kim, actually said that Heath already had this vision of where he was going to be. And this is his quote. He had these little shiny stars on the ceiling that he'd put up in this old house. He said, you know, that's where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in the film industry and I'm going to be a film actor. Yeah. Yeah, Kim Ledger told a similar story to Vanity Fair about how one night he and Heath were lying in bed until about 1am looking up at all the abstract art that Heath had pinned to his walls of his bedroom and ceiling and they spoke about his dreams for about half an hour. He said that he told Heath to go to sleep because he had school in the morning and Heath replied, well, Dad, you're going to have to get used to this because this is what I'm going to be. I'm going to be very good at it and I'm really going to enjoy it. 
big dreamer, it seems, at least according to his family. His mum also talked about how Heath used to follow his sister Kate, his older sister Kate, to all the productions that she was in at school, which is just like such a younger sibling thing to do, to see you know, your older sibling doing something and think I'm going to do that and I'm going to do it better. Kate told the documentary makers that Heath was in the front row of a production that she was in at school, wide-eyed, and was saying, that's what I want to do. I can't wait until I do that. Mm, At Heath's High School, which was an all-boys high school, he actually entered into a nationwide competition called Rockersteadford. Do you remember this? What, the Rockersteadford generally? Yeah. Yeah. This wasn't a big – my school never went into this or did this, but I remember watching these on ABC, I think it was, and the televised special I used to think was the sickest thing (laughs) Ever. Me too. I actually can't remember if my school did it or not. I certainly didn't do it. (laughs) But I remember watching them as well. And it's like this incredible production from school kids who are so insanely talented. Yeah, absolutely. Heath choreographed his school's routine. So he choreographed 60 male students, all of which had never danced before. They were all kind of farmers at a military school. So quite like a a blokey environment. And he said, I remember the first meeting we had. All of them were kind of surly going, fuck this. I'm not going to dance. I had to literally get in front of all these surly guys and put on a song and just dance. They went on to win that competition. It's so interesting with Heath and I think one of the things that I've loved learning the most in doing this research is how from the youngest age he had a very seemingly healthy relationship with masculinity Mm. and you see this throughout his career but he did not feel like he needed to submit to any tropes that kind of made up that toxic masculinity vortex, I guess. He was Mm. from the earliest of age being like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I don't care if people might brand me a certain way at this age because of it. He couldn't give a fuck and I think this is where the magic of Heath Ledger lies. He's so cool because he doesn't give a fuck. Like he just wants to do what he wants to do and it's irrespective of any of the opinions of the guys around him. He's like, I love dancing, I love singing, I love acting why wouldn't I do that? Which is just a blast of fresh air. Especially how many years ago, 20, 25, 30 years ago, Mm. I just made up a bunch of years (laughs) because I'm not entirely sure. His sister Kate was actually moving towards an acting career too, Mish. So Heath met with her agent and walked out with an audition. He seemed to get these kinds of things pretty easily. He was clearly able to charm and impress the right kinds of people. Yeah, well, he got his first acting job at the tender age of 17. This was in a 1996 ABC TV series called Sweat. And we need to talk about the fact he had never done an acting lesson. He landed an ABC TV series (laughs) off the back of just having a knack for acting. So Heath's dad actually said that Heath had a choice between playing a swimmer or a queer cyclist. And Kim Ledger said, I was thinking to myself, yeah, he'll choose a swimmer. I used to be a swimmer when I was younger. This will be great. But then he told me he chose the gay role. I went, oh God, well, okay. He did it because it was the more challenging role. He wasn't phased by any perceptions others would have of him for playing a gay character. I think you have to remember the context with which these quotes are being said and when these decisions were being made. This was about the late 90s. Mm. It was more than 20 years ago. A lot has changed since then, but they were in a very different time. Yeah, and it's a young guy making these decisions. Again, he was only 17 when he took this role. That isn't to say that it all went smoothly, though. So he did get the role that was very successful, but he wasn't exactly pleased with what he saw on screen. So he did tell Rolling Stone of watching that first episode, 
I was crap. He said how he was literally burying his face in his hands because he thought it was over. He said, this is the end. It hasn't even begun. What I love most about these quotes is he also asked his mum how she felt about it. He said, am I a good actor? Was I, am I terrible? Am I just not good at this after all? And rather than reassure him, she said, well, it's okay. And I love mums for that reason because it's like they'll never just like pointlessly inflate your ego if perhaps they don't think you need it. Yeah, it's refreshing and it's really likeable. He went on to say, she didn't even bother with, no, honey, you were great. I'm so proud of you. No one else around you except your mum is going to tell you that you suck. She straight up told me there are other things to do in life. He later hinted that this moment really changed the course of his career and it forced him to try harder and do better. Unsurprising, he, again, hadn't had a single acting class. He wasn't going to be the best in the world, but thank God he had a mum who could tell him that straight. I think there was something quite humbling about this for him because he said, I think that's the problem with a lot of actors in the industry. We all just think we're brilliant, you know, and 98% of us are crap. And we've got to realise that before we improve. (laughs) Now, halfway through year 11 at the age of 17, Heath decided that he was going to leave home and just travel across Australia. In the I Am Heath Ledger documentary, his mum described parenting Heath at this time as trying to settle a wild stallion. Mm. She said, you might as well make a friend of them and support them as best you can and love them and let's hope that everything turns out. I really loved this insight because I thought, what do you do with a kid like that? My mum would have had a heart attack if I wanted to pack up my stuff and travel halfway across the country at 17. Yeah, you've got to have a certain kind of parent who would let their child explore life in this way. So many parents would kind of close their arms around their kid and say, no, you're not going, you're only in year 11. But Heath's parents clearly said, okay, if this is what you need to do to find yourself, go out and do it. So on the day that his best friend Trevor finished high school, Heath turned to him and said, let's go to Sydney. He borrowed some petrol money from his parents. I think he had less than a dollar in his bank account, 69 cents in his bank account, And they just went across the country. Yeah, a really refreshing story in a sense that I don't think you get a kid or a human like Heath Ledger without parents that clearly encourage Mm. and nurture. I mean, it's that age-old conversation of is it nurture or nature? Is it how they're born or is it how they're raised? But clearly in the case of Heath Ledger, it's got to be a bit of both. Like to have parents that feel confident enough to say, yes, I trust you and yes, go, Mm. is pretty empowering for a teenager. So Trevor and Heath travelled to Bondi and when they got to Sydney, Heath actually auditioned and interviewed for a few roles before long. (laughs) This seems to be the theme of Heath Ledger. Before long, he got a lead role (laughs) in an American TV show called Raw in which he played a really young prince. And so suddenly he was getting paid okay money and he had a bit of name for himself in the industry. Already. Like it's just wild. And perhaps the biggest thing to come from his time on Raw was actually the relationships that he made on set, most notably with his co-star American actress, Lisa Zane. Lisa was a lot older than Heath. She was 36 and he was only 18 when they began dating. Yeah, so they were starring together on this television show. They started dating soon after they met and she was an actor who had made something of her career by the time that she had met Heath. She had minor roles in shows like ER and roles in a string of indie or small films like Bad Influence and Heart of Dixie. So... They fell in love on set and Heath actually followed her to Los Angeles after shooting ended. And I think this was quite a formative relationship for Heath Ledger Mish because she was the one who could kind of 
safely introduce him to LA, which seems like quite a big and scary city for a teenager who's trying to crack into Hollywood. Yeah. And I know that some listeners might be thinking, what was the dynamic like? She's twice his age. He's just a teenager. She's in her mid to late thirties. We must say we looked into this. We tried to find if there was anything awry in this relationship, but even Heath's family have nothing but good things to say about Lisa Zane in that documentary. It sounds like she was a really good partner to him during this time and that he learnt and grew a lot when he was with her. He also documented a lot of this relationship that you can look back on. He had a handheld camera and developed this really intense interest in documenting things, in taking photos and taking film. And it's interesting to look back on that footage because they just really look like a young couple that's in love and very creative and very artsy. Yeah, so Heath is in Hollywood at just the tender age of 18 and we are going to hear all about how he cracked Hollywood after the break. Zara, I think it's a pretty fair assumption to say no one likes having to deal with chapped lips, right? Absolutely. We all experience dry lips from time to time, especially in the colder months. What we have both been loving lately is Carmex Lip Balm, specifically their new range, Carmex Naturally. Carmex Naturally is a new and game-changing range that is natural certified lip balm derived from 93% natural ingredients. It's fast-acting, long-lasting and ensures the ultimate application. Carmax Naturally is also clinically proven to provide visible results after just one application and to increase moisture levels of the lips by up to 200%. So I basically said goodbye to dry lips since I started using these products. Another feature we love about Carmex Naturally is its use of sustainably sourced ingredients, which helps to preserve the Amazon rainforest and support local communities. Carmex Naturally is available in three popular flavours, including watermelon, pear and berry. It is also tingle-free, so if you're prefer a gentle sensation, you will love this. You can grab Carmex Naturally at your local pharmacy and also now at Coles, Woolworths and Big W. It is amazing for upping your hydration game. Thank you so much to Carmex for making this episode of Shameless possible. Okay, Mish, so Heath Ledger is in Hollywood. He is living with the actress Lisa Zane. And when he's in Hollywood and living with Lisa, he also meets her roommate, Matt Amato, who is also a filmmaker and director. He actually went on to make music videos for Bon Iver and Barbara Streisand, if you don't mind. <laughs> if you don't mind. Also the range. I know. From Bon Iver <laughs> to Barbara Streisand. <laughs> he's a man of many talents. <laughs> Back in 1998, the day after Heath moved in, Matt changed Heath's life. He handed him a script that his friend had just written and the film was called 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah, so looking back on that moment, Matt said that Heath came to him after reading the script and said that he really liked the role of Patrick, which was the lead role. And so Heath went to audition for the film and lo and behold, as we know now, (laughs) he got that role. And it was at that moment Matt said that he realised Heath was quite different because As we said at the start, he had this insane ability to enter auditions and walk out with the part, which is not to say he didn't work for any of this. Like it's not luck, but it's an incredible ability to impress people quickly. He had this like unquantifiable magic to him that clearly allured people. He would walk into a room and people would just find themselves captivated by him. And I think it's hard to pin that down, but it's absolutely something that was true of Heath Ledger and his life. Heath actually thought he had bombed the audition for 10 Things I Hate About You, but the director of the film, Gil Hunger, told the New York Times that that actually couldn't be further from the truth. 
Gil said, Heath walked in and I thought to myself, if this guy can read, I'm going to cast him. There was an energy to him, a sexuality that was palpable. When Heath was done, literally with the first page, I said, okay, you can put down the script. You're going great. I want to do a little improv with you. I just wanted to see how fast his mind would adapt comedically. After 25 seconds, I said, okay, fantastic. But I could tell he was nervous that he blew it because the audition was so quick. And I said, no, no, you're a very talented guy and I really appreciated you coming. The instant the door closed, I turned to the women in the room and said, ladies, I have never wanted to sleep with a man, but if I had to sleep with a man, that would be the man. Please cast him immediately. I love that quote so much. I think it speaks so much to exactly, I guess, what we were trying to explain just Mm. before. Heath's big break did seem to coincide with his breakup from Lisa Zane. And just like that, after only about 18 months in the industry, Heath Ledger was the lead in one of the biggest films of 1999. Yeah. 10 Things I Hate About You made $11.2 million at the box office. Heath was only paid, I say only, but in Hollywood terms, not a heap. He was paid about $100,000 for his performance, according to the New York Times. And the film made instant stars out of him, Julia Stiles and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, I can't believe how relevant this film still is today. I watched this this year because it is such like a nostalgic 90s classic to me. There's no other film that really has this air of 90s nostalgia. Yeah, absolutely. There is something about this movie. It is just like a timeless charm that Mm. people will keep coming back to. Much later, one of the screenwriters told the New York Times... There was such a big teen movie explosion at the time. We were young writers who had never sold a script before and it was very unusual you could get your first script made, let alone greenlit, six months after it was optioned. It had this feeling of all-round firsts. That quote I wanted to include because I think there was something about this movie where the ball was rolling from the start. Like you had screenwriters who had never had something greenlit before. You'd had actors who weren't stars. But everyone came together and created magic very seamlessly. Feels very much like a very potent sense of youthful naivety, like really great naivety where no one really knows the industry so they have a crack anyway and it happens to come off because they just kind of seize the opportunity with both hands. It's also really lovely to know that Heath's co-stars absolutely adored him. One of his supporting actresses in that film, Gabrielle Union, now a very well-known name as well, said this. She said, Heath had the ability to look at you and make you feel like Princess Diana. In a very crowded Hollywood landscape, he could make you feel special and seen. That's a pretty special gift and I don't think it's talked about enough. That is a lovely quote. To this day, his co-star David Crumholt said that he still prefers to think of Heath as the 20-year-old kid, and this is a quote, doing his first American lead with a big giant Cheshire grin smile on his face, taking charge as the leader of the group like any good ensemble leader should. So no real sense of nerves here, I don't think. Like it's not like he's walking into these film sets and sort of stepping back and letting other people take charge. There is an inherent confidence, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just like his co-stars, the media and the public fell in love with Heath pretty instantaneously. He really did come across as this endearing guy from a small town who didn't have a big head. Small town by the name of Perth. (laughs) (laughs) But didn't have a big head like so many other Hollywood actors that we see. And if anything, he kind of felt like 
a refreshing twist on what we're used to in Hollywood. There was very little bravado, very little materialism coming out of Heath. One interview with E! Entertainment from 1999 was actually filmed in a dog park where (laughs) Heath was just sitting on the grass and playing with his dog, Bint. He said, I'm from a small town called Perth, which is in Western Australia, one of the most isolated towns on earth. It's a lot different. It's a lot faster over here, but you know, I'm keeping up. I'm running with it. Yeah, as we know, Heath was deeply artistic and I think this meant that he wanted to rebel very much against being typecast as this teen heartthrob. I mean, after 10 Things I Hate About You, he was offered teen movie after teen movie and he turned them all down. He told Vanity Fair, I want to keep that all my life, the choice to say no. I'm in control of my life, not anyone in Hollywood. He went on to say, I only do this because I'm having fun. The day I stop having fun, I will just walk away. I wasn't going to have fun doing a teen movie again. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I don't. I don't even want to spend the rest of my youth doing this in this industry. There is so much more I want to discover. I read that quote and I think, gosh, that's someone who kind of knows who they are and what they want at a pretty young age. Mm, I think as well, someone who might be scared about getting caught in a riptide or in a swell of an industry that's greater than him. Like I I hear you read out that quote and yes, I hear personal resolve, but I think I hear a little bit of fear actually that like, I don't want to be consumed by this for the rest of my life. To already feel like that when you are just about to jump into the industry, you've just had your first major role, feels ominous to me looking back. Yeah. So the same year that 10 Things I Hate About You was released, an Australian comedy crime film called Two Hands came out where Heath played a young man struggling to repay his debt to a Sydney gangster. So not quite the same plot as 10 (laughs) Things I Hate About You. Interestingly, after that, work actually slowed down. I think, as we said earlier, he was getting offered teen roles or teen heartthrob roles, but it's not quite what he wanted. And it was a year later when an audition came along for a part in the movie The Patriot with Mel Gibson that he finally was able to find a part that not only he liked but kind of suited what he envisioned for his career. Yeah, fit his trajectory. He said, I was hungry at times. It was my last hope. If I didn't get that part, I was going to go back home. I had nothing, no money, no nothing. At one point, I didn't even want to read the script and go in and meet them. I had come so close to so many great projects that I had just had the rub taken out of me. I mean, it's a side to the industry that we don't see, right? Like, yes, we see all the successes that actors get, We do not see the rejection, we do not see the anxiety and we do not see the fear of maybe having your last project be your last project and not have any offers come after that. Yeah, it's very true because as much as we've said in this episode already that roles at the start came quickly for Heath Ledger, it wasn't the whole story Mm. by any stretch, particularly after 10 Things I Hate About You. And that insecurity about The Patriot actually came out in the audition room. So midway through a scene read, he actually lowered the script and said, I'm sorry, this is shit. I'm wasting your time. But more importantly, I'm wasting mine. He said, I was so in the dumps. I just didn't give a shit. I stood up and walked out. Yeah. Years later, he spoke to Rolling Stone about this incident and said, I am the worst auditioner in the world. I really am fucking shit. You're being tested. I almost like rebel against the situation. 
He seems to be struggling so deeply with confidence at this point in his life that he's almost self-destructive. Like he doesn't even want to give himself the opportunity to pass or fail. Instead, he just wants to scrap the whole thing and walk out of the room. And I think that certainly speaks to a side of Heath Ledger that maybe we didn't see. We saw this golden boy in films, but we didn't see the young man who was struggling and trying to figure out if this was his talent and if he was good enough. Yeah, I think there was a severe lack of confidence that we never really saw. And also, how were we going to see it? Mm. Like beyond having quotes like this, it was a very, very different time of celebrity. And I think you're absolutely right. I think it was a a kind of imposter syndrome, but that did actually breed self-destructive behaviour when it came to auditioning because he just thought, if I can't do it, why am I here? But despite all of that, he got the role. And looking back on that moment, Mel Gibson said that this role in The Patriot was actually between Heath and another actor. And the way that Mel Gibson tells the story is it very much sounds like Heath's painful self-awareness was what endeared the director to him. He said, Heath possesses an unlikely combination. He has incredible presence, yet he has no fucking pretensions. He is much more grounded than I was at that age when it all started happening for me. I think he'll handle it better than I did. Yeah, again, in this casting process, Heath had an effect on all of the women in the room. And I'm sure any like queer men that happened to be there as well. The movie director said that while Heath did blow that first audition, it was pretty terrible. When he walked in the room, everyone immediately paid attention to him. He could captivate everyone. The director said, every one of those women came into my office and said, please cast Heath. <laughs> they were all in love with him. Were you in love with Heath at this stage in his career? No, I think what's interesting about my relationship with the celebrity <laughs> of Heath Ledger is I didn't really have one. I think yeah. it was one of those things where it was after he died that I really understood him a bit more and kind of with hindsight went back and fell in love, if that makes a bit more sense. Yeah, I think anyone who watches 10 Things I Hate About You in particular, I haven't seen The Patriot, but 10 Things I Hate About You, it's almost hard not to fall in love with him. Like no matter what point in your life you stumble upon that film. Yeah, it was released in 1999 and I was about five years old then. Like so I didn't watch <laughs> it as it came out. According to Heath's best friend Trevor, the one that we mentioned earlier in the episode who jumped in a car with Heath and travelled from Perth to Sydney, Mel Gibson really took Heath under his wing. He said Mel taught him how to come in and out of character. Mel was the first teacher he really had. There is really sweet footage in the documentary of Trevor and Heath sitting on Mel Gibson's private jet cruising back into LA after filming The Patriot and just like looking around and shaking their heads <laughs> and like marvelling at where they'd landed themselves. Yeah, the friendship between Heath and Trevor is a really beautiful and also fascinating one. Trevor is in so much of the footage of Heath's life because Heath had his best friend come along for the ride with him. He wanted Trevor there. He wanted him on set. He wanted him as a support person throughout Heath's like ebbs and flows of his career. In that documentary that we keep touching on, Trevor says that being cast in The Patriot was really terrifying for Heath. He said it was a huge production. It was a little terrifying to be in another city with no friends just sitting there on your own. It's a lonely life. That's why he took me to most places because it was just us. We felt at home 
together. Why do I feel like I'm going to cry as soon as I read that out? I love friendships, especially young male friendships that are really sweet and very, very lovely. And so Heath continued to appear in major blockbusters like A Knight's Tale, which was a comedy where he played a peasant trying to make it as a knight set to rock and roll music, as you do. So (laughs) at this point in his life, he is getting more and more famous. His face is literally lit up on giant billboards in major cities. And he's starting to grapple with this profound level of fame that he has achieved incredibly quickly. Like everyone from movie directors to moviegoers adore him which would work very well if Heath Ledger was the kind of guy that enjoyed fame or enjoyed having his ego stroked, but it did seem like something he very much started to struggle with. Yeah, it was almost the opposite. You would hope that if someone's in this situation, that is an energy source that they thrive off. But I think for Heath Ledger, he found it very, very difficult to reckon with that level of adoration and that level of platforming, I guess. The writer and director of A Knight's Tale contributed to that. He said, once every 50 years, a guy like Heath comes along. For his age, Heath has an incredible manliness about him. Yeah, it's this fixation on him being like this... One in a million. One in a million, but also like this stereotypical masculine heartthrob, which again, he's put on the record that he was trying desperately to push back against. Mm. I mean... It is so clear in this documentary and through so many of the interviews that you read with Heath Ledger that there was a real sensitivity to him, that as much as the world tried to speak of him as this sort of like masculine heartthrob, he was very much this sensitive creative soul and so the picture that was put out and the person that he was were kind of at odds with each other. Yeah, in 2000, Kim Ledger did tell Vanity Fair, Heath doesn't want to squash an ant. He worries about everything from an insect dying onward. He's very soft inside. We're the only father-son I know who hug and roll around on the floor of the airport when we meet. We're crazy, mate. We're huggy, touchy people. I love that quote (laughs) so much. Heath did actually struggle with anxiety and struggled with the pressure, as we said, that came with being a fast-rising Hollywood star. For example, when A Knight's Tale came out and we said that there were billboards of him everywhere, when he saw them, he couldn't handle it. So these posters had... Heath on them with he will rock you underneath and he said later it freaked me the fuck out I was like what if I don't rock him yeah his anxiety got worse from there he told Rolling Stone I pretty much had anxiety attacks about just leaving the house I didn't feel like I deserved it I didn't really know how to act properly yet I started to feel like a bottle of coke and there was a whole marketing scheme to turn me into a very popular bottle and you know coke tastes like shit but there's posters everywhere so people will buy it. So I felt like I tasted like shit and I was being bought for no reason. Massive imposter syndrome. Yeah, hugely. And also I wonder if this is quite a common experience for actors who kind of pursue the craft with this very pure idea that they want to explore their creativity. Mm. And as we know with Hollywood and with acting, there's a huge level of having to be commercial about that. That is very much at odds with, I guess, their inherent skill set. And apparently, according to one story, at the end of a marketing presentation by a studio, he stood up, asked them to wait a second, ran to the bathroom, burst into tears and had a full-blown anxiety attack. Yeah. Heath's agent, Stephen, did say that things started to change after A Knight's Tale came out. Heath started looking for wildly different roles, particularly indie roles, because he was so spooked by the level of attention. Stephen said, I think he got freaked out by not being in control and where the ride was sort of taking him and that he wasn't steering it. And whether it was conscious or unconscious, that image all 
all got torn down again. Yeah, so he started appearing in darker films like The Four Feathers, The Order, and he said, I wanted to take the blonde out of my career, kill the direction it was going. I wanted to be bad. I wanted to be good. I was like, well, now how am I going to make this career I would like to have? If no audiences came, good. That's going to help me out. Very tricky to make it in Hollywood if you don't want the attention that comes with fame. Like yeah. I, I do have a lot of respect for Heath and, of course, he wanted to be the kind of actor that he wanted to be, which is fine, but to kind of look at the Venn diagram of fame, you have the commercial side that needs to sell movies and then you have the talent artistic side. There's a lot of overlap that if you want to be cast in roles, you need people in theatres and if you find that very fact uncomfortable you're probably going to find the industry very difficult. Well, I think that is true for big roles, but it seemed very much like I don't even know if he wanted to be part of the bigger part of Hollywood anymore. Like he saw it and he saw the kinds of roles that he could get and was like, I don't think I want this if mm. the fame is involved. Like he was very happy to do quirkier, different kinds of things and it worked. Studios no longer wanted to work with him. I mean, his reputation as a difficult person began to spread. He wasn't good at selling the movies that he was cast in and he wasn't good at appearing on nighttime talk shows as we know is standard for any actor mm. or actress kind of promoting any film. So it became this awkward thing of he is incredibly talented but he doesn't want to do the publicity that comes along with a film and what do you do with an actor like that? Yeah, like he has every ingredient to be the biggest star in the world apart from the one ingredient that he actually wants it, which yeah. he just doesn't. In 2004, he followed suit with another unpredictable role. He actually played Ned in Ned Kelly, and that was a film that the New York Times described as admirable but kind of falling short of its overall ambition. Ned Kelly did mark more than just Heath's departure from Hollywood commercial success, though. It was also where he fell in love with his girlfriend, Australian actress Naomi Watts. Yeah, I had actually totally, totally forgotten that these two mm. dated. So... After being connected to a couple of women in the industry, models and actresses, he then entered a committed relationship with Naomi Watts. So it was the American Spring of 2002, which is about March, April, May, where he starred with Naomi Watts in this film. Naomi was also a little bit older than Heath. She was about 10 years older than him. And this was something that the press really was at pains to keep pointing out when they reported on their relationship. Once when she was asked about the age gap by Barbara Walters, Naomi Watts said, wait, what? He's how old and I'm how old? I'm not so good with the numbers, Barbara, which I just loved. <laughs> Naomi said that she was captivated by Heath from their very first scene together on Ned Kelly. She told Parade Magazine it was just something deep in his eyes. You could look into them and they would tell a thousand stories in one glance. There was a wonderful mixture of power and fragility at work in everything he did, which just pulls you in. His strength didn't scare you, it intrigued you and his fragility touched you. What a lovely quote. I mean, there are some incredible quotes from people in his life about Heath and I loved this one almost as much as all the others. Mm. At first, they tried to keep their romance a secret, apparently with the help of none other than Orlando Bloom, <laughs> who actually also starred with them in Ned Kelly. So after shooting Ned Kelly, 
Heath and Naomi returned to LA and Orlando Bloom would reportedly arrive at nightclubs with Heath as a kind of decoy so that paparazzi <laughs> wouldn't know that he was going in to meet Naomi in the VIP room. What a random story. I like know. Orlando Bloom just happens to pop up and play a role. The couple did eventually make their relationship public in October of 2002. They were at the premiere of Naomi Watts' new movie, the ring and they walked the red carpet together arm in arm. Yeah, and then they moved in together. So not just a casual fling by any any stretch. Naomi told the press that she loved Heath's sense of humour and down-to-earth nature. She said, I hate guys who try too hard with perfect hair, perfect bodies, perfect muscles that line up neatly. Vanity is a big turnoff. Girls can get away with that sort of self-possession, but I don't think guys can. I like the just rolled out of bed, just happened to look great kind of guy. I mean, <laughs> don't not, we all? I'm like, not asking for much, Naomi. <laughs> just be flawless with zero effort. Thank you. <laughs> they did date for two years, these two, and they appeared to be pretty serious about each other. At the beginning of 2004, the Sydney Morning Herald report that they were using their summer to house hunt for a $5 million place in Sydney's eastern suburbs. Now, a bit of an age check. Heath was 25 at this point. Naomi was 35. And while they were very, very serious about each other, the age gap probably started to show around this time. Yeah, exactly. Later that year, Naomi reportedly broke up with Heath because, unlike her, he wasn't ready for marriage and children. And it is a really hard age gap to navigate. Naomi, as we said, was 35, had been really public about wanting to have kids. She told W Magazine that she had been dying for it since she was 19, but that she hadn't met the right man. And according to a biography of Heath's life by Janet Fife Yeomans, Naomi actually moved her belongings and her dog out of Heath's home in early 2004. Yeah, Naomi Watts's publicist did officially confirm the split in May 2004, but the pair always remained amicable. They remained really glowing about each other. Naomi is in the documentary about Heath's life, and I think, again, it is such a testament to the person he was that ex-girlfriends will have nothing but great things to say about him. Yeah, reflecting on his impact on her life, she said he was a very special soul and made a great impact on my life. Now, it wasn't long after this breakup that Heath was actually spotted with another co-star and that person was Michelle Williams. They met on Brokeback Mountain, Mish. Yeah, we are going to hear all about the story of Michelle Williams and Heath Ledger on next week's episode of Shameless and, of course, that film that changed everything, Brokeback Mountain. But that is all we have time for today, Zara. God, I wish I could meet him. He sounds just electric. Yeah, absolutely. And I honestly cannot wait to deep dive into the relationship between he and Michelle Williams because that seemed incredibly special too. So guys, thank you so much for listening and for supporting the show. If you want to support us an extra little bit, (laughs) you can click follow on Spotify and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and come check us out on Instagram. We are at Shameless Podcast. As always, we will have some throwback photos from this time to kind of get the nostalgia going. Yeah. And a huge shout out to our researcher, Justine Landis-Hanley. She researched this episode along with our help, Zara, and we are, as always, super grateful for her work. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, we'll be back in your ears on Thursday for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye. Bye.